Values define how we live, how we act, and how we think. But how can we maintain our Christian values in a world that is constantly at odds with the biblical values we are called to live by? When we allow the nature of God to resonate in our heart, it causes us to change the way we live. We will begin to show irrational grace and experience exponential growth both personally and corporately. Our desire will be to be part of authentic groups, and when we gather, it will be with enthusiasm. We will be generous in our giving, using the gifts we have identified for His glory. We will be obedient in our call to go, constantly glorifying God in all that we do. This sounds like a fulfilling way to live our lives, but are we willing to allow our heart to resonate with Christ to see this happen? be starting a brand new series. I've come to realize that you guys, and I'm saying you guys because you talk to me, remember sermons better if I've got props on stage. And if I've ever preached a series, there's one series that stands out above all others. If you've been here any time, I can guarantee the one sermon that you will remember is the one where I had Four chairs. You know, I preached that in 2016. It's because you remember stuff. And so, with, with, which you can see. And I think we all do that to some degree. There's others. I know when I was talking to somebody during the week, I said, well, what ones do you remember? That was the first one. Uh, there was another one when we talked about, they said, oh, we did a series on the well. Do you remember that? We had a, a brick well sitting down the front down here. Um, the sieve, we had the sieve, and most times you remember the sieve. The one thing you remember about the sieve is that one week I couldn't find it. You don't remember what the sermon was about, but you knew I didn't have a sieve that week. So I'm, I'm nervous about this because we've called this series Resonate, and I've got no gong. And I wanted a gong. And I've gone over eBay looking for the gong that I wanted so that I could have this big gong with a big rubber mallet and give you the gonging, the resonating sound of a gong through this series. We're working on it. And I think we can, and, and if nothing else, me talking about that today will remind you of resonate when we get to do it. So I, I'm excited about this series. It's an, an eight week series. We've called it resonate. The word resonate really means to, it, it, if something resonates with us, it, it appeals to us and it changes us. It appeals to us in a very personal and emotional way. It resonates with us. Um, it affects us. And it's my prayer, our prayer, that as we look at this series over the next eight weeks, that the principles that we are going to be speaking about will resonate or already are resonating with you as a Christ follower. And become, these principles lead us or cause us to live in such a way that these become such a, a, a very normal and natural way to live and continue to have the, a powerful effect in the way that we live as Christ followers. We need to resonate 
with the Word of God. We need the Scriptures to resonate in our spirit. The principles that are laid out for us are not there because they're good ideas. They're good, they're there because God wants us, wants them to resonate or to re be revealed through us in the way that we live. And if it doesn't affect how we live, I question whether we've received or we understand the principle. And that's very true of today. These principles that we're going to be dealing with over the next eight weeks are ways in which we can measure our spiritual growth and how we live our lives as Christ followers, as individuals. How we can live as the body of Christ. And we might not be able to embrace all of these principles for the first time over this series. It might be that God is working on just one of these principles in your life at this moment in time. But every single one of them are essential in my mind if we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. And they are progressive. So today's message is called Irrational Grace. And I know that a vast majority of people here or on the lounge suite at home watching it online or, or wherever you're listening to it into the future, when I speak to Christians about grace... There's part of us that goes, goes, I already understand grace. I know grace. God, God's, it's by grace that we're saved through faith. I know that. And the word grace just flows off our lips like water. And, and we can say that and do that without even thinking about grace. But I want to say to you today that if we do not understand grace, nothing else matters as far as our spiritual growth goes. Nothing else matters because without grace, nothing else exists as far as being a Christ follower. So this, while being the first and perhaps the, the call it basic if you want, it's not basic, but the very first of these principles is the most critical because without grace, nothing else matters. And we'll talk about that today as we go through it. And it's been extended to each one of us in an amazing way. And the response we have to that grace ought to be evident in the way that we live. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your amazing grace. We accept that, Father. We receive that. We even, to some degree, understand it. But today, I pray that you would help us to live by grace and with grace in everything that we do. Open our eyes, open our ears as we share today in Jesus' name, amen. So right at the outset of today, I wanna to define grace. I know that you probably have heard definitions of grace. We speak about it often and many of you and have heard um, and understand the meaning of grace. But I wonder 
whether we actually stop to realize what the implications of that are for us living here on this planet. John 1.14 tells us that Jesus came to this planet. He came to earth and lived among men. And even though he was crucified, his glory was revealed to us all. Whose glory was he talking about? It goes on to tell us, and then it says, And this glory was the evidence, or, or sorry, the essence of God the Father. Jesus was full of grace and truth. When Jesus came to this planet, by the way, if you've got sermon notes in front of you here or online, I'm going to do something I've never done before. You've got a G, T, G and T on your sermon notes. Grace, truth, grace and truth. You can fill them in now so you don't have to think about it. And I put them there so you would write them down because we remember 80% of what we write. So it's important to take notes if you're wanting to remember anything. Grace, truth, grace and truth. There's your words for, for, and you filled in, you filled in any extra. But John 1.14 tells us that he, the glory of God was shown through Jesus Christ. And Jesus was full of grace and truth. That's important that we understand that Jesus was demonstrating or he, he was the essence of God. He was God himself manifested through Jesus Christ through in a bodily form. Two words that should have so much impact in how we live our lives as Christ followers. Yet those two words, grace and truth, they are... They, they too just seem to roll off our tongue as Christians. We understand grace and truth. And Jesus displayed the glory of God by being full and revealing that God is full of grace and truth, which is really important if we want to be in the kingdom of heaven. Really important. If that is how Jesus displayed the glory of God, wouldn't you think that if we were going to be Christ followers, that understanding grace and truth ought to be at least in the top couple of principles that we understand? If we do not understand grace and truth as a Christian, like I said before, very little else matters if we are calling ourselves a Christ follower, a Christian. Because the very word Christian or Christ follower insinuates that we are following Christ, doing what he does, being who he is. If Jesus is full of grace and truth, it should follow, if we are following him, that we are full of grace and truth. And I wonder whether we understand that. Particularly in light of how many of us Christians live our lives. How cranky we get at people who don't agree 
how frustrated we are when people don't follow the law. I'm not even going to ask you to put your hand up, but I put mine up. Who else gets cranky when you're doing the speed limit and someone flies past you? How dare they? Grace and truth comes into play. So while we're looking at irrational grace, it's almost impossible to speak about grace without speaking about truth and seeing as that they're both connected to the very character of Christ, we need to implement them into our lives. So grace, let's start with grace, G, grace. Let me define it if I can. I've already tried to, started to, but there are many ways to understand this principle of grace. But essentially, grace is unmerited favour or receiving something we didn't deserve. Um, the acrostic, many of you will know, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's something that we, we as Christians have probably heard many, many times. Something that we receive that we don't deserve. God's riches at Christ's expense. But what does that mean? Because essentially what that's saying is that God revealed himself to us as human beings through the person of Jesus Christ. God wanted to reveal who he was to us as, as people, human beings. And so rather than this God figure revealing himself to us in a physical form which we would not have coped with. He sent Jesus in human form, the manifested presence of God himself in human form. Colossians 1, 15, uh, Paul talks when he's speaking about Jesus, he says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. God's gift to us. Jesus Christ was given to us as an act of grace because we had no hope of being in the kingdom of heaven without Jesus Christ. No hope without God's grace. That's why it's so important for us to understand if we do not understand this idea of grace, it's possible that we've not even received grace in our own life. If we don't get that, that if the amazing aspect of what God has done for us, we didn't deserve to see God, we didn't earn it, we didn't do anything to deserve it at all, we, but God extended to us his grace by allowing us to see him through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus even said it. You've seen, the disciples said, show us the Father and we'll believe. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. There was no other way we were able to be part of God's kingdom without God giving us this free, undeserved gift of grace, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the essence of grace. And the reality is that grace is something that you can never get or earn. You, you, you can't work for grace. 
Because the moment you get grace because of what you've earned or worked for or, or sought after in that way, it's no longer grace. You can't just do a little bit more, give a little bit more, be a better person, work harder, study more, anything more to get God's grace. Because as soon as you do that, you've earned something, it no longer becomes grace. As soon as it is something we do that to, it becomes something completely different. There's no way to earn grace or there's no way that we deserve grace because if we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace either. We can't do those any more than you can bring about your own birth. The scriptures tell us in John 3.16, many of you know this passage, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The begotten word is important, but we'll not talk about that today, but you'll need to look it up. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved this world so much that he extended his grace in giving us Jesus Christ that we now have the opportunity of receiving that grace so that we can be in the kingdom of God. That's grace. Grace is unconditional love and acceptance. We did not deserve Jesus Christ. We certainly proved that by the way that we treated him while he lived on this planet. And if you think, well, I wasn't there, it's not your fault, think again. Because I'm confident that there would be very few of us who would have stood on the side of the disciples if Jesus suddenly walked into our, into our lives. As much as we would like to disagree with that statement. Yet God, in his grace and unconditional love, despite how we still treat Jesus, gives us the opportunity to be in the kingdom simply by willing to be willing to, for us to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Grace. That's irrational. Grace. It makes no sense at all why God in all of his wisdom would allow us into his kingdom after the way that we've treated him. Why would we even think that we deserve that? It's irrational to think that. And that's why grace and the display of irrational grace in our own lives and our own character is essential if we are calling ourselves a Christ follower. Grace is the first ingredient necessary for growing in the image of Christ. Because without grace, we do not reflect Christ. Because grace is in his character. He is the essence of grace. It's the unbroken, uninterrupted, unearned, undeserved, accepting, loving relationship with Jesus Christ that we get to have because of God's grace. It was displayed for us in the Garden of Eden. Go back to Genesis. God's grace is evident in Genesis right from the beginning. 
Adam and Eve in, in chapter 1 and chapter 2, as you read through the full account of the creation story, Adam and Eve were given everything they needed to live on this planet by God's grace. They did nothing to earn it. They did nothing to deserve it. Yet God gave them authority over all of the things of this planet and told them exactly how they should live. It was God sharing his grace with us as human beings above all other of creation. And there was no reason in Adam and Eve's life at that time for shame. There was no reason for anxiety. There was no reason for concern. There was no reason for worry because God's grace was providing for them in every aspect of their life. They had the perfect freedom to do God's will and be unashamed of who they were. That's grace. There are two other words that go parallel with grace. They're companions to grace and they're mercy and love. They're the two other words that we talk about with grace. While grace is receiving something that we don't deserve, mercy, on the other hand, is not receiving something that we do deserve. What does that mean? God's grace has been given to us, allowing us to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and we are accepted into his kingdom by grace. But at the same time, God extends mercy to us by not giving us the punishment that we deserve because of the way that we've treated him. We do not get the death sentence because of mercy. We receive eternal life because of grace. Which grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not receiving what we really do deserve. Grace and mercy, they go hand in hand. And God's love is similar to God's grace and mercy in that it too is undeserved. We don't deserve God's love. We don't deserve God's love because of the way that we've treated him. But regardless of how we have treated him and continue to do so in our culture, God still loves us, undeserved, unmerited. Love and grace are at times almost used interchangeably through scripture. But they are different because love describes how God feels about us and grace describes how that feeling is manifested to us. God loves us. That's how he feels about you. But, and the, because he feels about you that way, he extends his grace to you and me and to the rest of the world who would be willing to accept it. They're different, but they, they're often used interchangeably. Romans 5.8 is a good passage to describe that because it says God demonstrates his own love towards us in this. In that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, grace was extended to us because of God's love, how he feels about you and I. Grace. Truth is the T. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all live by grace alone? 
Can you imagine that for a moment? Living by grace alone in a society where everyone gets along. Take care of the poor. We visit people in jail. And even when you're, you're bad and you've done something wrong, people just ignore it because there's nothing to forgive or, or worry about because I'm so gracious, you can do what you want. You think that would be a wonderful world to live in by grace alone? I think it would be chaotic. If there were no rules to break, because even if they were rules, we would be so gracious that we would just not worry about it. We wouldn't have to visit people in jail because there wouldn't be any jails, because there wouldn't be a need for jails, because we would be just gracious about it. It would be so chaotic if you were on the road and everyone was just gracious to the way everybody else drove. There would be no need for police. There would be no need for speed limits. There would be no need for anything if grace were all there was. That's why truth has to be part of it. If there is no truth mixed in with grace, we are destined to do the same bad things over and over and over and over again without even being able to get out of the mess that we found ourselves in. If there's no truth, if there's no guidelines for what's right, how do we know how to get out of what's wrong? But let me say this too. While living by grace alone is going to be chaotic, if we only live by truth and we ignore grace, we're also in trouble because living only by truth and no grace will result in being very legalistic. You cannot do that. The Bible says you cannot do this. This is the way we've got to do. How dare you do that? That's what the truth is. This, this book is a book of truth. Why can't we read it and know it? That you can't even do any of those things because it tells us that we can't. That's truth. And they're not wrong. But it becomes very legalistic when we start living like that without grace. And the scriptures remind, I want to remind you, tell us that Jesus was full of grace and truth. But there is a good side to truth. As while there is a bad side to truth, there is also a good side to truth because truth stands against things that are wrong in society. They give us this guide of how we can get out of the mess that we are in. If there was no way of getting out of the mess that we're in, we are doomed for destruction right now. That's why as Christians, there are many who would profess to be Christians who are so truthful and legalistic that they're offensive to people. There's no compassion without grace. So if there's no grace, we are not going to be very compassionate towards why somebody has done what they have done, even though they couldn't have helped what they have done. There's no forgiveness without grace because forgiveness relies on grace. So if there's no forgiveness, then where do we stand before God if forgiveness, if truth is not part of that? There's no favour or mercy without grace because all of those attributes flow from grace. They all come from grace. 
And if there's no truth, then lying, cheating, adultery, drunkenness, abortion, euthanasia is all okay. Because after all, what is truth? And that's the problem that we've got in our society. We do not understand truth. In fact, we even have a saying, my truth is not your truth. You, I can do this, but oh, you, you can't do this. I don't have to agree with you because my truth is different. Truth is always truth. And if it's not truth, it's not true. You can't get around that statement. If there's no truth, then we can do what we want and no one can say a word against it. So we have no right then to stand up for the word of truth in our society because if truth is not part of it. So what's the answer? We cannot live by grace alone. We cannot live by truth alone. Is it grace or truth? Well, it's neither. It's both. We spoke about it before. The answer is Jesus Christ because he is full of grace and truth. The answer for our getting out of this mess that we are in is Jesus Christ. The answer that we have of receiving help in this planet is Jesus Christ. And if we don't know Jesus Christ, we are doomed for destruction. The God of grace, of truth, sorry, the God of grace and truth Full of grace and truth, Jesus is described. Truth is what's real and proper and right. And it's necessary for us to know truth in order to grow up into the image of God. That's what it's there for. It stands alongside of grace, but it gives us direction on how things are supposed to be because grace deals with the relationship that we have with God and with everybody else. Our relationship is based on grace and truth gives us the direction or the structure on how we are to build our character. And we need to understand that. And what the fall in the Garden of Eden did essentially was to separate those two words from being one. And from that point on, leaving every single one of us to experience those two things separately. And as a Christian, we have been made new. They should have been, or they are, put back together. But from a world perspective, we can be gracious or we can be truthful. And we see them separated. Leaving all that we have experienced to one or the other. The loving one for whom any, anything goes, we can do whatever we want, and the hard one who lets nothing slide. And you know people just like that. And some of you have got an elbow in the ribs. I get the elbow in the ribs at times because I'm like that. Ashamedly, I am like that at times. 
And it's, wouldn't it be good if there was a happy medium of those two? And there is. It's Jesus Christ. It's exactly how Christ's followers should be living. Look to what Philippians 2 says. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on the cross truth mixed with grace which is the next one grace and truth why is this so important because while both grace and truth have been given to us in the form of Jesus Christ followers of Christ are not followers of Christ unless we follow Christ does that make sense we cannot be a follower of Christ unless we're following Christ. To say we are following Christ but not following Christ would mean we're a liar. Grace and truth are Jesus Christ. Therefore, grace and truth ought to be you and I. We should be full of grace and truth. They need to go hand in hand. Paul deals with this in Ephesians 4. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. A difference because we now have grace and truth in the, the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, because they've not received grace and truth who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work in all uncleanness with greediness, because of the lack of grace and truth. But, he says, you are not so. But you've not so learned from Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed by the spirit of your or in the spirit of your mind that you should put on the new man which was recreated according to grace and truth according to God in true righteousness and holiness therefore put away lying let every one of you speak truth to your neighbor for we are members of, of one another. Be angry, but don't sin in that anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouths, but only what is good and necessary or necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor and evil speaking put out of your lives, put away from you with, with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, gracious living by the truth forgiving one another even as Christ has forgiven to you forgiven you 
we need to recognize what Paul's saying. We, we learn forgiveness in the relationship of grace. And there, there is, that's one thing that we need to understand in the body of Christ. It's one of the tasks of the body of Christ to be forgiving, gracious. That's the nature of a Christ follower. And Jesus makes this statement in Matthew 6. He says, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you also. Because we are to reflect grace and truth, reveal, be the essence of that. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Because we do not hold on to grace and truth. Since we are forgiven when we accept Christ, what Jesus is saying that if we don't forgive other people, we have not allowed grace and truth to be in us and so that we begin to bear fruit. So the question that needs to be asked that we need to ask ourselves, have I received grace and truth? Have I really accepted Jesus into my life? If my life is not being reflected in what Paul has just described to us in Ephesians 4, if we are not living by grace, compassionate grace, and standing by the, the word of truth, have we really received Jesus Christ? Are we being a Christ follower? Ephesians 2 tells us, for it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And it's not because of what you've done. It's, it's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, it says. Not of works, lest anyone should be able to boast about it. It's unmerited. And I said back at the beginning of this morning that we've called this series Resonate. Because these principles ought to resonate in each one of our lives who have made the decision to follow Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm asking you, as I finish off right here, how does it resonate in your life? How does grace and truth, irrationally, because the world won't agree and it won't make sense, it will be appearing like irrational grace. How does that manifest itself in your life? Have you got on with your boss this week? And if you are the boss, how have you got on with your employees this week? And if you're a dad or a mum, how have you got on with your children this week? And if you're a child, how have you got on with your parents this week? Have you been gracious and compassionate while looking to truth and understanding that, you know what? Sometimes we've got to say things in truth, but compassionately. We're not always going to get it, but we do need to understand the principle. Grace without truth is chaos. Truth without grace is judgment. And being judgmental is exactly the way that many non-Christians feel Christians act toward them. That happens when we hand out truth without grace. It's not that you have the word doormat written on your forehead so people can walk all over you. But Jesus was the essence and full of grace and truth. And while you and I not, might not agree 
with the lifestyle of others that are living their life the way that they want to or the behavior of someone, change is unlikely in their life if grace is absent in yours. And keeping to the letter of the law may come across as being very super spiritual, but unless we're obeying the spirit of the law, we find that we're not even close to the throne of God that we profess that we're on or with. Jesus dealt with that in Matthew 5. Let me read it. He says, you've heard the law that says punishment must match the eye. Oh, sorry, match the injury. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say, don't resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you're sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give them your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry for, from you, sorry, you carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles. Give it to those who ask and give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow from you. The spirit of the law against the law of the law, the, the word of the law. You've heard that the law says, love your neighbors, hate your enemy. I'm saying to you, show grace. Show grace. Love your enemies. They don't deserve it. But love your enemies. Pray for them, for those who persecute you. In that way, what you will be doing will be acting as true children of God. True children of the Father in heaven. When you act with grace. And what Jesus was showing to us was that obeying the letter of the law is a matter of physical. But obeying the spirit of the law requires much more than just this outward appearance. Paul calls this attitude change or this shift in change a circumcision of the heart. And he says this, for you're not a true Jew just because you were born of Jewish parents or because you've gone through the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law. It's a change of heart produced by the Spirit It's the grace and the truth. And a person with a changed heart seeks praise from God, not from people. So a rational grace has been extended to us as an example. Romans 12 says, in his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage, then encourage. If it's giving, give generously. Jasmine read this last week, I think, from memory. These words shouldn't be unfamiliar to us. If God has given you the ability to lead, lead. Take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, then do it with gladness. God's grace is expressed in us by the way that we receive gifts. God's grace to you and I means that he has given you the ability to, to use those gifts. Our response to receiving God's grace is to use what he has given us wisely. Paul recognized it in his own life. He says, it's by God's grace and mighty power that I've been given the privilege of serving him and spreading the good news. God's grace is why you have those abilities. And Paul encourages us to do the same. He says, God has given each one of you a gift. 
from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Grace. I want to speak more about this stuff in the coming weeks, but let me ask you this one final question. What are you doing about the irrational grace that God has shown to you? Are we living our life in such a way that demonstrates our gratefulness for the grace that God has extended to us? Are we extending grace in the way that it's been extended to us? If so, let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day of the Lord approaching. If not, let us remember that the grace that we extend to other people may well be the measuring stick by which grace that we are measured before God when we face him. It may be the measuring stick that Christ uses to measure us when we stand before Christ. Irrational grace has nothing to do what's, with what's fair. It has nothing to do with what's true. It has nothing to do with any of those things, but it has, it's, it has everything to do with what's right. Think about that. Let me pray. Father, I pray today that grace and truth would work over time in each of our lives this week. That we would be able to experience the presence, your presence in our life as we speak with people that we're going to meet up with this week, whether it be in the shopping centre, even over the phone, at the workplace, whether we, we've woken up with a good frame of mind or not. Father, help us to be the essence of grace and truth as we follow Christ. And I pray for, the, for this group of people, Father. I pray for those who are now online and watching, that as our eyes are closed and our heads bowed, that we might be able to ask you for help in these areas if we need that. Help us, Father. Help us to get this part right. Help us to understand grace and truth. As irrational as it sounds, there is no other way for us to be able to be in the kingdom with you because we do not deserve it. We haven't earned it. We have no right to it. So thank you, Heavenly Father for that irrational grace that you have extended to each one of us. Help us to be accepting of others. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.